This is a pretty unique season, what we're doing. All of us are going through something we have likely never been through before. And I'm going to kind of go back and kind of remind us of some stuff that I think we all kind of know, and maybe we've thought about a little bit before, but we're going to be thinking about it in a deeper or unique way. First thing I want to talk about is when does the most effective time happen when somebody is teaching or preaching? And I think it usually happens about five minutes before the preaching starts or about 15 minutes after. Because usually what happens is just before you get started, you have some conversations out in the audience. You realize there's something going on here that I need to address. Or about 15 minutes after something comes up, you realize, okay, we need to go much deeper than this. We're going to be shifting online uh, with Revive, and almost every church I know around the world is doing this today. And I'm going to ask a question that we've been talking about even in the last few weeks, and I didn't realize it was going to lead so much into it, but what would Paul do? And I think the question is slightly different. What would Paul do with social distancing? And we don't have to look far. If we look at Acts 28 or in his epistles that he wrote of Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, or Philemon, we realize that Paul was doing ministry in the midst of social distancing. He got placed in a situation where, hey, I got to stay in this house or I got to stay in this jail cell. And when he did that, he would host individuals in his home, and he was constantly writing and corresponding. I think today he'd be hosting individuals, or he'd be blogging, vlogging, or on social media. And as I do this, I'm going to get started and walk us through a few verses in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 26. And I want to give you four questions that I'm going to give at the beginning and four at the end. And I'm going to post them after we get done with this 10 o'clock Sunday, I'm going to post them underneath saying, okay, think about these. Talk about them in your home and start talking about them with us. We want this to be a back and forth. This is what social media does. First question for our text, what does walking by the Spirit sounds religious? Maybe it's impractical. How can you make walking by the Spirit a practical way to live? Second, is it possible for one's actions to take them to a place where they cannot inherit the kingdom of God? If so, what does that practically look like? Third question, which fruits of the Spirit are particularly challenging for you during the coronavirus epidemic? How do, we, how do you intend to cultivate them in the next few weeks to months? Fourth question, social media will likely be the nuts and bolts of Christian communication through the coronavirus pandemic. It can easily fuel consent, conceit, envy, and coveting. How do you intend to use social media during this season for the gospel? Now let me kind of review where we're at. We're looking at Galatians in, at Revive. It is a key text of the Protestant Reformation, and really if you look through the history of Christian faith, almost any time there has been a renewal or a revival movement, God's people have been reading Galatians and talking about it. I think it's a particularly relevant passage for a church that labels itself revived. Um, in fact, we talked about this last week. Galatians is such a key book to understanding how our faith leads us to be citizens, that if you look to systems that decide they would use Christianity, but they were going to exploit the people either for political or economic or social advantages, those systems, when they had to translate the Bible, sometimes would even pull Galatians out. If you're getting to read it, you're getting a privilege. Here's a review of what's going on in Galatians. Paul writes to a church in the province of Galatia. It's the cities of Dis 
Derby, Lystrum, Iconium, Antioch, and Pisidia. If you want to read the stories, it's in Acts 13 and 14. When he goes and starts churches there, there is a foundation of Jewish synagogues that he first starts with, people who understand the Old Testament. Yet, very quickly after he's in the synagogue, conflict happens and he goes and starts preaching to Gentiles, pagans, uh, some would say Greeks. They come out of both the legalism of the Jewish law and the idolatry of paganism, and things really are changing. People are being healed, the blind can see, the lame can walk, and then their lifestyle is absolutely changed. Paul has this habit of going city by city, and when he leaves, somebody follows him. And some of the people that follow him provide, trying to provide teaching are actually legalists. They come in and say, hey, Paul told you some things, but we want to tell you more. You've got to follow all of the Old Testament law, particularly you've got to be circumcised. And there's tension that goes on for about 20 to 30 years. Historically, it ends in Acts 15 with the Jerusalem Conference. But even as we've read through Galatians, you'll see this is back and forth for about 20 to 30 year period of time. And maybe I'll even add this right now. We're, going to, we're entering into a season that is going to last for a few weeks to a few months, and I've seen worst-case predictions of 18 months, and we're wondering what's going on here. If you read your New Testament, you should be confident that we can enter into seasons that are full of mystery and uncertainty, and that God will get us through it. Last week, we were in a turning point in Galatians, where Paul made a move in how he writes, and he went from laying out the big picture of theology, these ultimate beliefs of truth, to the actual practice. And he said a couple of key things I don't want you to forget. One, he said that legalism will lead to an alienation from Christ. He actually used the term falling from grace. And we talked a bit about what that could look like, because that bumps again up against some of our theology. And I made the point, practically, arrogance and pride are the most destructive of sins. He gave a couple practical illustrations about running. He gave a practical illustration about baking with yeast in the dough. And then he gave some crass candor where he even said that he wished the legalists would just get castrated. But he said, here's the heart of the matter. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to move into Galatians 5, 16 to 26. Let me read that for you. And I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Version. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. They are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, Outspurts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. 
Paul starts out, to try to give some summary, he says that when we walk by the Spirit, we're on a right path that changes our basic desires. And even I, I'm noticing this, one of the things that's coming out through the coronavirus, what can we can, what can we do and what can we not do? One of the things that's coming out is we can go for walks. Just make sure you stay six feet away from everybody you're walking with. And when we are saying, okay, I'm going to live by the Spirit. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. But we have these competing desires. One of the first things we do is we choose we're going to go on a walk. And we're going to be kind and we're going to be gentle and we're going to listen. And in the quietness, we're going to start listening to the Spirit. And that starts to change our basic desires. Now, Paul contrasts these desires of the flesh versus the desires of the Spirit. And I was actually playing with this this week, because when I was a little kid, I remember watching the cartoon character where the protagonist of the cartoon would be tempted to do something. And on one side of his shoulder would be the devil, and the other would be an angel, and they'd be telling him different messages. Do this good thing or do this bad thing. And they'd lay out the possible consequences. And it could be kind of cute and funny. And I started playing with that, trying to see, okay, can I find something? And then I kept reading the Bible at the same time. I'd plunge to see if I could find my old cartoons I grew up with. And something that jumped out at me is, you know, it's tempting to think, oh, it's just two voices, one on my shoulder. But the Bible's really clear about this. The Spirit is stronger than the temptation. When we're walking in the Spirit, in a certain way, we're just overwhelmed with God's goodness. It's standing on a mountain and seeing all that God has done. And then when you walk into a valley, it's recognizing that God has even created this valley. And even if it's dark down there, He's still with me. It's filling us up, it's being our guide. And the competing voices really are not an equal choice of, oh, good is this side, bad is this, and I can weigh it out. The, the, the voice of God compels us, and he guides us, and he's our path guider. It's not equals. Now, when we're led by the Spirit, we rise above law-keeping. That's what maturity is. And I've said this before, and you're going to hear it many, many times. When we are children and we're trying to learn what is right and wrong, a lot of times, in fact, it is this way, your parents will say, these are the rules, do these good things, don't do these bad things. If you do the good things, you'll get this reward. If you do the bad things, you'll get this punishment. And as we grow up and we start to get into the world, sometimes we can get involved in all of these legal systems and all of these complex policy documents. But as something happens as we become mature, we start to be able to understand what's the principle behind why I do this. What's the belief system? And it starts to become intuitive. And in some ways we get to the point where we don't need all the law, all the regulation, because the Spirit has changed us. That's what maturity is. Paul lists all of these gross sins. Chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. And there's a couple of times that Paul does this in his writing where he has, these are the lists of sins that create destructive life patterns. And some of us will say, and it is biblically true, all sin separates us from God. Yet some sins, when they multiply, they create this destructive force. And Paul listed some here in Galatians chapter 5, 19 21. I, I broke them down. Maybe this was just something, maybe somewhat silly, a little bit I borrowed. But one, I'm going to call it the sins of spring 
break in business trips. Their misplaced sexuality, their drug usage, those are destructive choices. The second category, the sins of religion, and you see it in this list, it's idolatry, it's witchcraft, and sometimes we who think, oh, we're sophisticated, we've got an education, we live in the West, and say, oh, that's the old-fashioned way, those are things that nobody does. C.S. Lewis, however, in his screw tape letters, had a phrase that said one time when one, an older demon was talking to another, he said, when man is done with science, he will return to witchcraft. And I have seen this over and over, even in the last week. If you are watching what are people saying about coronavirus, you can find a lot of good information. You can find a lot of sound, things that are written by Christian people or are preached and taught. I hope you'll see that about us at Revive. But you can also watch this nonsense that's popping up, which is really just witchcraft, uh, calling itself Christianity, the health and wealth gospel, telling people, oh, if you do this special thing. I saw one video this week telling people if you would just inhale air from a blow dryer and say a certain type of prayer, coronavirus could get you. It was using basically the tools of witchcraft. You find something you can manipulate, you say a religious phrase, and say, okay, I'll get past that. And this stuff is just getting pervasive on some of the stuff I'm doing. These are the sins of religion that look for an item that we can control, that we can manipulate, and we've got to step away from that. The third category I saw was the sins of relationship. Anger, division, strife, hatred, jealousy, selfish ambition, and I hate to admit this, but sadly, this is part of church life. It was something that was going on in the churches that Paul planted. And if you watch on Black Friday, you'll see individuals who do this. And if you watch Walmart hoarding, it's that. It's that selfish ambition. Grab all I can get. Push someone else aside. Look at others and see them through a lens of hatred or jealousy. And the consequence of this is Paul writes, this will take us away from the kingdom of heaven. No one who does these type of things will inherit the kingdom of heaven. He says similar things in 1 Corinthians and several of his letters. We've got to pay real attention when that's driving us. But conversely to that, we as God's people are to produce fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And like I said, that should be the voice that we're hearing. That should be the voice that compels us. That should be our guide as we're walking on this path of faith. Paul lists, lists nine. He lists love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says these things are obvious. When you see them, you are seeing the Spirit working. And I'm going to keep working my Walmart hoarding illustration. Most of us are going to have to get up at some point through the next few weeks, run out and do some shopping. When we do that, can these fruits of the Spirit be part of our life? Can we walk in and we see everyone we see with love? Can when we feel stress, we feel a joy that's greater than this and we know we're going to get through it and we smile? Can we be at peace where no matter how much turmoil comes, we don't feel anxiety? Can we have patience where we can stand and wait and long? Can we be kind and good to our neighbor? Can we walk with faithfulness where we're confident that in the end, God is going to take care of us. The worst possible thing could be my loss of life on this earth, and I've got eternal salvation. 
Can we be gentle and not need to bully or push our way to the front? And can we exercise self-control? We can, can we say, hey, I don't need to hoard. I can control my actions, my resources, my tongue, and my own heart. For no one must make up laws against things such as this nature of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You don't need a law against it. These are just the natural fruits of the Spirit. When we put on Christ, what happens, Paul says, is we crucify the passions and desires of the flesh. And the idea of crucifixion for those of us in the West, that's all something that happened a long time ago, something that we may not fully understand. It was the mechanism to kill by execution the most despicable of criminals. It was painful to put it to death. And I do want us to think and remember this as we're talking about, okay, to walk by the path of the Spirit, to listen to the voice of the Spirit, that is not too competing. The, the Spirit overwhelms evil. The light drives out the darkness. But also recognize that when we have to put aside these portions of our flesh, it's painful. We're putting them to death. It's a thing we choose. Final thing of the text I want us to look at. Let me read it, make sure it's in my brain. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This final message speaking against envy, conceit, provoking. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, and this is part of what Paul has been playing with here, he's talking about the Old Testament law and what Christ does, and then how we have freedom in Christ. And he's arguing that when we have our freedom, we don't become uh, morally bankrupt. Instead, the Spirit changes us. But if you know the Old Testament law, there were ten commandments. The last one was, thou shalt not covet. The first nine were all things that were fairly easy to see and define. You know, if you'd made an idol, you could see that. If you killed someone, they were dead. If you lied, eventually truth would come out. Coveting goes right to the heart. What's going on inside me? And it tells me that God has always been interested in our hearts. And if there was a Jew who was reading through Paul's letter, and he'd recognize, oh boy, Paul's taken us back to the heart of the Old Testament. That's where it starts. I started off talking about one of my questions, and I'll put it up in the end, is social media. Because I think that is where Paul would be working during the season of coronavirus. He would be winding it up. He'd be blogging more. He'd be vlogging. He'd be on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. But when we're in those places, it's easy to fall into this trap of coveting, of looking at what something is happening into somebody else's life and thinking, oh, I really wish I had that. How does their life be so good? One of our questions is going to be about social media usage, and I'm just going to give you a couple of things that, for me, have been helpful. One, be careful what you believe when you're watching others. If somebody on their social media feed only shows you a life of accomplishment, that's simply not true. They're not telling you the truth. If it all is just good, that's not truthful. Second thing, be careful of becoming partisan. It's very easy when we're discussing lifestyle issues, and Paul does in his letters to say, okay, I'm going to choose a partisan perception. Don't do that. Third, this is something I've had to do. I don't often do this, but occasionally I block somebody 
And there are some times where I choose not to follow. I say, okay, I'm still going to be friends with this person, but I'm just not going to go and look at what they're doing. And part of it may not be what they lead me to in the sense that they're taking me off a bad path. I have to sometimes choose, and I hate to admit this, if I am watching somebody who seems to be excelling at everything I'm falling apart at, I start to covet them in my own life. I, start to, I wish I had that. And I just have to kind of turn it off and say, okay, I'm not going to focus on what I don't have. Fourth thing I would say is do share God's goodness. Whatever God has done for you that is good, from the sunrises to the sunsets, to the meals, to the success of your children, to how things are going at church, to the joy in your heart, to a song that you've heard, to a scripture that's been encouraging, whatever has been God's goodness, share that. Share the joys of your family and community, but also share your struggles. And this is where I think we can see on somebody's social media feed that they are authentic. Are the struggles out there? And some would say, well, don't put it out there. But if we're going to look at Paul as his as our model, when we read through Paul's letters, he is talking about the wonderful things that he's seen. But he also is pretty clear, I've got a struggle here. Even in Galatians, he talked about my flesh is failing and when I was with you in the province of Galatia, I was physically not at my best, and you ministered to me. Do lift up Christ, and then do challenge behaviors. Let me, I'm going to read my four questions again, because I'm hoping, as we're in the season where a lot of stuff is going online, where the primary places that we're communicating is over social media, I'm hoping if you listen to this that you'll enter into some conversation about these questions. Tell us what you're thinking. Tell us what you've learned. Put it down. First question, how can you make walking by the Spirit a practical way to live? Second question, is it possible for one's actions to take them to a place where they cannot inherit the kingdom of God? If so, what does that practically look like? Third, which fruits of the Spirit are particularly challenging for you during the coronavirus pandemic? How do you intend to cultivate them in the next few weeks to months? Fourth question, how do you intend to use social media during the season for the gospel? Here's the closing blessing, coming from Galatians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5 from the New Living Translation. May the God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen.